Morning, everyone. So, so good to be with, with you all this morning. Uh, I, I do bring greetings. Let me just get this out of the way. I do bring greetings from the Jackson Street Church of Christ. Uh, I was out there last week and, um, you know, really, really had a blast. Uh, they, they still, at present, they, because of COVID protocols, I mean, they've, they have some really strict stuff going on. Uh, but, but really to help with their COVID protocols, they've been having several months now two worship services. And so they, they, they have a 10 a.m. service and then a 12.30 service. And they've been doing that for months. Uh, so I had the opportunity to preach at both services. I've, I've always heard people talk about a time when Antioch had two and three services. And, and, and now that I've experienced preaching back-to-back services, I'm glad. Uh, I'm <laughs> I, I, you know, all you need to do is do it once. I, I did it once, and I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad to have had the experience. But I'm really, I'm really thankful that Antioch, for the most part, right now we, we only have one service in the AM, uh, and we'll see how things progress later on in life. But, uh, but I do bring greetings from the church there, uh, brother, brother uh, Christopher Jackson is a senior minister over there at Jackson Street, and he does send his love. The elders send their love. Uh, and that's, that's a church that's going through quite a lot of transition as well. Just to give you uh, just, just some information really quick, uh, Christopher has been uh, over at Jackson Street going on a, roughly about four and a half years now. And uh, when, he, when he moved to Jackson Street, uh, him and his family, they had gotten into a severe car wreck. And, and so he was hospitalized. He was in a coma. Uh, for, for a period of time, and then when he got out of his coma, by the grace of God, you know, having gone through therapy and all this different kind of stuff, uh, you know, he, he was faced with COVID, and so, you know, they were down for almost a year and a half, two years, and, and so now he's, he's not really getting into the groove of working with the church. Uh, they, they've, they, they are getting re- ready to install two new deacons, something that they haven't done for a number of years. Uh, as a result of, 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 of his situation, he, he decided to put some succession planning and stuff, and so they recently installed as well a new associate minister. So it's a lot going on, and then on, on top of that, brethren are beginning to come back out from COVID, and so the energy and the vibe is, is really good, and I'm just asking us to keep that church in prayer. They have so much going on. They're, they're, they're almost dead in the middle of, 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 of the city, and so really, 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 I'm asking us to keep that congregation in prayer as they serve and as they minister to uh, that part of Nashville. Also, as far as announcement goes, and I know this is not necessarily family news, but we do have a lot of activities coming up really quickly in, in the summer months. And there are two activities I want us to be aware of. And please, uh, you know, participate wherever we can and make sure that we avail ourselves to be a part of these. Number one, uh, we do have beginning in the first, on the first Wednesday of June, running all through July, uh, we do begin our summer series, our midweek summer series, commonly and affectionately called Wonderful Wednesdays, all right? And so this year, we've invited a host of, of different speakers, many of whom you, you know, many of whom you love, and more on that uh, will, will happen this week and next week. But we want to invite you to come out, everyone, not just the regulars, but we want to invite everyone. The hope is 
that we have so large a crowd that we, we can't go downstairs into the fellowship hall, and every single Wednesday, we'll have to come up here and have our services, all right? So, so please be mindful of that. We are looking forward to having a wonderful time. The theme for our midweek summer services, midweek summer series, is entitled, Let's Go Deeper. All right? And so all our, all our speakers are going to come and they'll be speaking directly towards that theme. So that's beginning uh, on the first Wednesday of June and running all the way through to the end of July. And finally, there's one more thing I want us to be aware of amidst all of the stuff that we have going on as well. Uh, this, coming, this coming summertime, we are going to partner with some area churches. Uh, to, to promote a sort of unifying event. And we've, we've kind of themed this greater together, greater together. Uh, and, and right now, there are five congregations, Jackson Street Church of Christ, Tusculum Church of Christ, Smyrna, Rural Hill, uh, and of course, uh, did, I, did I miss Antioch? There are five congregations that are coming together to host this event, and the way that it will function, uh, we'll have four Sunday evenings of worship and fellowship, and the location is going to rotate. So one Sunday evening, it will be held at Smyrna, another Sunday evening, it will be held here, another Sunday evening, it will be held at Tusculum, another Sunday Sunday evening, it will be held at Rural Hill, and we are asking our members not to just show up for the one that we host, but we are really asking everybody to participate in the series as we travel from place to place, the goal of which is to worship God together, and another a primary goal as well is to be able to connect with neighborhood congregations and even brethren out there. Uh, it's, 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 it's good, it's all well and good sometimes when you can find a spouse, uh, any, anybody here got married and they met their, their, their spouse at Antioch? Uh, I know we had two young people yesterday, had a beautiful time yesterday, and they, they met each other here, and many people have met their spouses here. But, but what about those individuals you can't seem to find your spouse here at Antioch? Uh, all hope is not lost. That's all I'm trying to say. All right, all, right, all hope is not lost. And so I, I'm not saying use this as a means to go shopping, but, you know, if you're in the grocery, uh, if... if, if, if if, if you're at Walmart, why not? That's all I'm saying. All right, so uh, please look forward to that. The, more information on that is going to come, but be, be in prayer, be in thought, and, and again, we just want to be a part of all of this, and I believe that God is going to bless, bless these events and bless these gatherings in a wonderful, wonderful way. Uh, let, me, let me bring you almost immediately into our text on this morning. Our text is taken from the book of Matthew chapter 20, and really the entirety of this text is found in verses 20 all the way down to verse number 28. That's Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse number 20, and really the entirety of this scene comes all the way down to verse number 28. Ah, still, I hear a lot of pages turning. If, if, if you're there, say amen. amen. If, if, if you haven't gotten it, say not yet. Oh, we still have some not yet. We still have some not yet. Let's, let's, let's sing a chorus while people find their, their scripts. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. 
I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Oh, what a love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. He keeps blessing me over and over and over and over and over again. He keeps blessing me over and over and over and over and over. Don't you know that he gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by? I'm singing over the love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over. You know that I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. He gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. I'm singing over the love between my Lord and I. I keep falling in love with him over and over and over and over again. If you have Matthew chapter 20, verse 20, say amen. amen. All right, beautiful, beautiful. My, my encouragement to us this morning is, is going to come from a text often associated with the selfish request, that's, that's kind of how we, we, we dub it, the, the selfish request of a mother on behalf of her two sons. However, while there might be some jostling for kingdom position within the confines of our text, I, I need for us to see that sometimes maybe we, we, type of, we, we sort of overstep or overreach in jumping to, jumping to a lot of conclusions in this text and we don't take into account a lot of the background and history and context of the day and the time and the age. A huge part, if we're, if we're honest, a huge part of our contention in this text has to do with Jesus having to address specifically what would seem to be an ongoing issue that these disciples time and time again would have had. Both Matthew, Luke, and Mark would record that there, there were specific times in, in, in the life of the disciples after they were called to Jesus. There were, there were specific times when an issue arose among themselves that they, they tried to deal with and they tried to address. Luke, in Luke chapter number 22, uh, verse number 44, after Jesus would have instituted the Lord's Supper. This would have been the last Passover, of course, that Jesus would have had before his disciples. Luke would record that they, the dispute would have been concerning who would have been greatest in the kingdom. That's Luke chapter 22 and verse number 24. 
in Mark chapter 9, verse number 33 and 34, there, there, there again rose a dispute when they were making their way into Capernaum. And, and this time it's interesting because Jesus actually turns to them after they come off their road and come off their journey. And he, he asks them, listen, what was your dispute about? Jesus would have heard their grumblings and their mumblings while they were traveling. And, and while he didn't intervene or butt himself in in the moment, he, he wanted them to, to come out and, and to say what was on their hearts and what the issue was about. But Jesus already knew. And so he would turn and he would ask them, listen, what were you arguing about? What, what was all that dispute? What was all those grumblings that I heard? And the scripture would say that they would stay silent, but they knew that there was a dispute that they had trying to determine who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. These disputes, as a matter of fact, if, if I have to be strict to the text, these disputes often arose around the specific times in Jesus' life when he would express to them that his time with them was short and he was getting ready to leave, that he would be taken by the Jewish leaders and he would be beaten and he would be killed, but he would tell them that I would rise again on the third day. And so no doubt in my mind and from these events, no doubt there, there seems to be a genuine, and I need for us to see this, there seems to be a genuine concern about what's going to happen after the rabbi leaves. There seems to be a genuineness and a sincere approach to, to trying to figure out succession planning. When you leave Jesus, then who is going to be the one to carry on or, or to further your calling and your cause? Who are you going to leave, if I have to put it in my words, who are you going to leave in charge? So in Matthew, as Matthew, before he makes his way into verse number 20, they, they literally come to Jesus. This is around Matthew chapter 18 and verse number 1 through 5. And they would come to Jesus and they would say to Jesus, Lord would you please tell us who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? But now we make our way into Matthew chapter 20 and we encounter Salome. She is not named here in text. She's only referred to as the mother of Zebedee's kids. And Salome comes to Jesus, and she comes to Jesus, and Jesus sees maybe her distress. Jesus understands her heart, and similarly, in times past, when he afforded them the opportunity to voice their concerns, he gives her the opportunity to share her request. But as we look at this text... I'm saying that if we only look and we focus on what we consider to be the selfish plea of a mother, we might miss the sincere proclamation that's actually taken place in this situation or in this scenario. Look a little bit closer with me. I want to read verses 1, sorry, verse 20 through 28, and then I want to share some things in this text, and I hope that we'll be blessed by it, not necessarily just to look at the negative aspects that we normally go to, but to see what was really happening and to see what Jesus is having to address. In verse number 20, I'm reading from the New King James Version, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asked something from him, and, and he said to her, what do you wish? What do you desire? She said to him, grant 
that these, my two sons, would sit on your right hand and on your left in your kingdom. I need, I need for us to appreciate the language. She is saying, Jesus, I'm coming to you and here is my simple, if you could say simple, here is my simple request. He says that one of my sons would sit on your right and another of my sons would sit on your left in your kingdom. This is a place of privilege. This is a place of succession and and while it's, it's really difficult at times for us to navigate what does that mean to, to sit on the right hand or to sit on the left hand, in most instances, when you read scripture, in most instances in history, to sit on someone's right hand was, was to have a certain level of authority. So if you think at it, at, at, about this from a, a very physical, worldly standpoint, she, she's trying to figure out who is the one that's going to have succession in your kingdom. Who is the one amongst those individuals here that are going to have power in your kingdom? Who is the one that will carry on your name? And so grant that one of my sons would sit on your right hand. That's a place of privilege. But then she also says, not only do I want you to, to give one of my sons a, a choice place on the right hand, I also want you to put one of them on the left. What's difficult about this language, especially when we think about the left-hand side of things, from a biblical standpoint, often, more often than not, when you approach Scripture, anybody that's deemed on the left side is usually deemed for destruction. You think about the great, uh, the great gathering in the book of Matthew chapter number 25 with the great gathering that, 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 that stands before the throne. And remember how, how Jesus gives that illustration. He says, those who were on the right were counted as what? Sheep. Those who were on the left were counted as what? Goats. You guys with me? I know that. And then those who were on the right accounted as sheep, they would be blessed. He would say unto them, come ye inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. You remember that now? But what, what would he say to those on the left who are counted as goats? Depart from me. So when we take a cursory glance at scripture, oftentimes the place of blessing is seen as the being on the right side. You guys with me? Those who were on the left, that was associated as being a place of cursings. But that's not the case when you think about royal language. That's not the case when you think about, about authority and power and a throne. From a throne perspective, from a kingdom perspective, the individual who had a certain level of power and authority, literally the king's workman, the king's hand would sit on the right. The one on the left would be the one who would, would, who would offer wisdom to the king. So if you think about it this way, the one who sits on the king's right hand has the king's hand. He is the king's sword. She is the king's shield. They represent the king's authority. That's the successor. That's the one who will do if the king or queen is sick. That's the one who will step into the main role if the king is taken out or the queen is taken out of the equation. So the person on the right hand, he has the king's hand, but the person on the left has the king's air. You, 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 so you with me? So it's not an issue of, well, the, the one who is on the left 
is any less important as the one who is on the right. The idea is I want my two sons to have good primary positions in your kingdom. And while we might deem this a, a selfish request, there are some things I want us to note within the confines before we move on really quick. I want us to see that in the text we have, number one, a mother's love is on display. Mothers, people who have, who have mothered individuals, people who have helped to raise kids or nieces or nephews or uncles, tell me this, mothers, do, do you not desire the best for your kids? That, that was a good place for the mothers to say, yeah, I do. <laughs> no, no, could I, could I, could I, could I? Could I even be a little bit more frank and plain in my, in my language and, and my illustration here? Could I, could I choose just one person that I could not necessarily pick on, but I just want to talk to you? Could I, could I talk to our mother? Could I, could I talk to our mother? If you had a choice between your son or your daughter becoming a doctor or them becoming a sanitation engineer, that's a nice way of saying a garbage man or garbage woman. Which would you choose? A doctor. You, you, you wouldn't have seen it, but she just kind of rolled her eyes at me like, oh, that's, that's, that, that, that's a given, right? My, my point is this, and I'm not trying to belittle, I'm, I'm really not trying to belittle the people who take care of our, our, our garbage. I'm telling you, let, let the garbage truck not pass for a couple of weeks. We'll recognize how important they really are. All right, so everybody has a role and a function, and each, each role and, fun and function is important for a good function in society and home. So I'm not trying to belittle a person's, a person's job. That's not it. But the point is, the point is as a parent, you have a certain image in your head as, as, as to what's best for your kids. You want whatever the best that this world could offer, you want that for your kids. You might not have the ability to send them to the, to the best school as far as money could buy, but you still want them to have a good education. You might not have the ability to buy the latest brand shoe names and, and clothes for them to wear, but you don't want to see them walking about with, with shoes that's busted under the sole or, or clothes where the, the neck is all wrinkled up. You, you want the best for your kids. So here is a mother, and in her request, she wants the best for her kids. Jesus, take the selfishness that we often equate with her request out of it. Take, take that base out of it. And could you approach this from seeing a mother who loves her kids and she wants the best for her kids? Jesus, grant. She is kneeling in the presence of Jesus. That's that's, that's the beginning point of a place of humility. That's, she's kneeling in the presence of Jesus. He said, Jesus, I, my only request. The language there is similar to the language that, that is uttered when God comes to, to Solomon via the dream. You remember that scene with Solomon? He's young. He's about to take control of the kingdom. And God comes to him and God says, listen, Solomon, now is the time. Tell me what your heart desires and I'll give it to you. The difference is, Solomon didn't say, well, all right, God, make me king over all I survey. Solomon said, here is what, after some thought and after some process, and Solomon said, you know what, grant me wisdom that I could lead your people rightly. Grant me wisdom that I could determine what is right from what is wrong, and I could judge 
accordingly. But now this woman, she is in the presence of the king of kings. She's in the presence of Jesus. And as a mother, she could request anything at this point. And she says to Jesus, the best that I think in my head right now, Lord, is that you grant in your kingdom, when your kingdom comes into existence, that my sons are so close to you and they are so close and they, they walk so close to your calling that they have special places after you leave. So I need for us to appreciate that there is a mother's love that's on display. Not only do you have a mother's love, but you also have two young men's desire. Two young men's desire. No doubt, no doubt Salome would have known about the, the, the disagreement and the disputings that would have been taking place between these disciples, these would-be apostles. And so she understands as she comes to Jesus, this is also a reflection of the desire of these young men. They want to serve Jesus the best way that they could. They, they, they want to be close to Jesus. They, they don't just want to be volunteers. You want to be all up in this business. And I, I want to be so invested that you could see how invested that I am, that you could make me a manager. I want to be so invested that you could make me co-partner. I want to be so invested that everybody knows how invested I am. So put me, I, I, I pray Jesus, put me in a prime position to serve you. But number three, not only do I want us to see a mother's love, nor do I also want us to see these boys' hearts and their desires. And again, I'm not saying that there isn't some worldliness within the confines of all of this. I just want us to take all of that stuff and look at the text in a pure way. But number three, I want us to appreciate that there is a norm. There is a way of doing things that has shape their attitude towards this discussion and this dispute of being greatest in the kingdom. As Lord and Master, as Rabbi, it was customary that a rabbi, if and Sarah, I, I, I almost said if he or she, most all rabbis were, were male for the most part, but as far as the master discipleship was concerned, later on you do you do have female masters or teachers in, in the world, right, historically speaking. So, so the idea was a, a master who would have disciples if they knew that they were going to take a journey, number one, for an extended period of time, they would leave someone in charge over the school or over the rest of the disciples. Or if they knew that they, they were getting close in age, some, some, some rabbis didn't live forever. Some, some, some rabbis passed away. <laughs> And so if they knew that their time was coming close, maybe they were ill or they were going down in age, they would, they would call their choicest disciples, they would call their closest, they would, they would call their protégés, the, the young ones that they would have considered to be, listen, this is a person who could carry on my school and carry on my teaching and carry on my name. He, he would call those individuals to him and he would appoint one or two individuals to carry on the work that he has been conducting even through them. So there is a norm, there, there is a way that things were done and so on. When we take all that into consideration, when you take a mother's love, when you take the, the desire of these young men, man, and now also when you take into consideration the norm of the day, it was normal for a master to designate and appoint their successors. Do you now still look, having understood some of those things, do you now still look 
into this text and only see the evil that they just wanted power. It, it, it really wasn't just that. But no doubt they were corrupted by the norm of the day. No doubt they were corrupted by the way the world does things. But Jesus has to come in the back end of this dialogue and say, listen, the world does it this way. But not, that's not how it's going to be in this kingdom. In the world, it's all about power. It's, it's all about, about ruling by a mighty hand. It's all about who is in charge and, and who, is in, who is in subjugation. But in the kingdom, that's not how it's, not how it's going to be. So I want us to appreciate something within the confines of this text that often we overlook because we run to the back end and not realize what's taking place in the middle. Come with me really quick and we'll be done. Look back now at verse number 20 of Matthew chapter 20. It says, Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him and said with her sons, and kneeling down, asked something from him. And he said to her, What do you wish? What do you desire? She said to him, Grant that these my two sons may sit on your right hand and on your left in your kingdom. Focusing on, on this with me now. Look at verse number three. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Most times when we read this text, we read into that statement and we stop. We forget everything else in the middle and we run straight to the end where Jesus has to talk to them about uh, who is really greatest in the, in the, in the kingdom. Let them be your servant. We miss oftentimes, if we're not careful, what's actually going on in the middle of this text. Don't misconstrue the text into thinking that these disciples and all of these individuals, they are just coming to Jesus with carnality. That's really not it. It's, it's not that they're so evil and so wicked that they're just focusing on the way that the world does things, but they are influenced by the world that's around them. Notice what Jesus says. You, you don't know what you're asking. Parents, could we... Could we, be, could we be open and honest sometimes to, to conclude that sometimes the thing that we deem the best for our kids, when, 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 when we look back after years gone, gone by and years have passed, can we conclude that sometimes the thing that we thought was best for them really teared up their spiritual lives? So sometimes you, you might send them to the best school academically, and they come out with really good degrees. They come out and they are able to go into to the world of work, whatever their profession might be, that, that specialized field, and they're able to, to gain a good income and to take care of the needs of them, their, 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 their kids, and their kids' kids. But often, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes the best that the world has to offer is the worst when it comes to spiritual upbringing. So she has in mind the best that she can for her kids as a mother. But she doesn't really fully understand what exactly she's asking of Jesus. And so Jesus brings to view when he talks about, listen, I, I, they'll, they'll drink of the cup and, and, and they'll partake of, of what I'm going to partake of. But the, the issue of giving who's going to be on my right and who's going to be on my left, that's not for me. That's up to God. And Jesus was alluding to the fact that on the cross, when he's in the middle, he's going to be crucified with one male factor on the right and another male factor on the left. You want a place of privilege? You have to be willing to be crucified with me. 
So, 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 so just is saying, listen, I'm hearing you, Mama Salome. I'm, I'm hearing you. I see your heart. But what you're requesting, you really don't fully appreciate and understand what you're, you're really saying. But notice, notice in the text, Jesus, after he gets the request from the mother, he says to her in the beginning of verse number three, you do not understand, you don't know what you're saying. But everything else from this point on will be directed towards the sons and then later on the disciples. Follow me on this. In verse number three, he would go on to ask. Are you there in verse number three? He would go on to ask, are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? And to be baptized with the baptism that that I, I will be baptized with. And, and they utter the words, we are able. So prior to Jesus offering any other words, he simply asked of his disciples, are you really able to endure the hardship that would come your way as a result of following me? Are you really able to endure all the circumstances that, that life will throw at you as a result of being attached to my name? If I were to put it a different way, Jesus would be saying to us before we decide to fully take up this role of being disciples of his, he's going to look at you and me and he asks of us, he begs of us to answer the question, are you able to handle what it means to be a Christian? Because being a Christian could be hard. There, there is no difference, if I have to put it this way, there is no difference between the believer and the unbeliever when it comes to all that life will throw at you. The believer suffers heartache. The believer suffers frustration. The believer suffers denial. The, the believer goes through depression. I know, I know, growing up, we used to say that if it is people who are suffering depression and you are a Christian, it didn't mean that you are a good Christian because Christians ought not to suffer depression. That's nonsense. Christians go through hardship. Christians go through difficulty. Christians, if they're bitten by, by poisonous snakes, they, they fall down. And if they don't get treatment, they die. Christians get into car wrecks. And Christians end up on their deathbed. And Christians end up with cancer all throughout the body. If you are not willing to handle what it means to follow me, then I don't think you're, you're able. So he asks these two boys. And by extension, he's asking us, church, are you really able? Are you able to go through the changes of life and still continue singing those hymns of praise? Are you able? Are you, are you able to go through the difficulties and in the midst of the difficulties, you may not know what is up from what is down, what's left and what's right and what's coming over the horizon, but you do know the God that holds tomorrow. Are you able? Are you able when it is you, the, the, the world is against you and just for your stance, everyone in the world calls you a fool. Are you able? So he asked them, are you able? And their proclamation was we are. I need for you to understand the transition in the text. 
Because at that point, Jesus is letting them know, listen, guys, I, I know your hearts. I know your desires. But let me show you what it really means to be a follower of me. It's, it's till death do us part. There's a reason why the Apostle Paul, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this. Give me about three more minutes. I'm going to say this. And then, Joe David, you just start making your way up. Three more minutes. When you start making your way up, I'm going to make my way down. There is a reason why the Apostle Paul, by inspiration, he likens the relationship that we have to God and to each other with the relationship that a husband has with his wife. Can I preach this? When we stand and we make the declaration, both men and women, when we stand and we make that declaration, you... You remember what some of those words are? You remember what some of those words were? I mean, sometimes the words change, but the, the feeling and the sentiment is the same. I, I will love you in good times and in what? I will love you for richer and for? In sickness and in? Till death. That's a proclamation and a, a declaration that we make when we stand in the presence of God and a minister. To declare our love in holy matrimony. So, you're supposed to love your spouse when the money is reading right. And you're supposed to love your spouse when there's no money to even talk about. We <laughs> you're supposed to love your spouse when she cooks the ribs and it's tender falling off the bone. Equally, you're supposed to love the spouse when she burns the rice that was instant. <laughs> Don't laugh. It happens more than you think. You're supposed to love your spouse when they're fit and trim and there was no talk about a dad bud. But you're also equally supposed to love your spouse when you question for a minute, are you pregnant? <laughs> Just, you love from the beginning to the very end. So Jesus says to these men, are you able? Are you able to run your race from the start to the finish? They may have come with a misconceived notion of what it means to be the greatest, but their heart was to serve God. They may have come with an intent or with an understanding, a worldly understanding of succession, but now that Jesus is outlining for them what it really means to, to be a true disciple, they have to be able to drink from the cup. That's suffering. They have to be able to be baptized with the same baptism that he will be baptized with. That's sacrifice. He's trying to help them to understand that if you truly love me and, and you truly have a heart to serve me, be willing to do the things that I do. And I know that that's true because when he gets to the end of it and he's showing them the difference between what it means to be successful in the kingdom and not what it means to be successful in the world, the world lords over you. But who is greatest in the kingdom serves you. And I know, because if I had to deem myself, Jesus speaking, as greatest, then guess what I am to you? I'm your servant. She says, you got to be willing to do what I do, to take what I take, and be blessed the way I'm blessed in the exact same way. Steve, you with me on this? 
I know that I might be giving you some problems here on this side of heaven. But on the other side of heaven, you don't have to worry about the eyesight going bad. I, I, I know I might have lost my grandma back, back in 2018, early 2019, and it pains my heart to just think about it. I could barely talk about it sometimes. But that pain is here and sustainable on this side of heaven. But on the other side of heaven where the true blessing is, there is no pain there, is no sorrow there, is no agony there, is no crying there, there is no night there. Is Joe David up yet? Yeah. All right, well, let's stand, guys. Let's stand. <laughs> so Jesus asked the question, are you able? Their response was, yes, we are. I'm going to ask you, church, the exact same question. Are you able? And I want your response to be an open and an honest one. But if your response is, yes, we are able, I want you to scream that to the rooftop. And so let me ask you the question, church, are you able? Yes. We try that one more time. I heard yes. If you believe you are able, scream to the top of your lungs, yes, we are able. Church, are you able? Yes, you are able.